everyone, and welcome to Pixie Scene Podcast, hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Rachel. And I'm Bethan, and hi, I'm here this week. Hey, Bethan, I'll, I'll get to you in a moment. So please note that this is a true crime podcast, so this caution is advised. Now, we'd love you to interact with us on our social medias. I'll leave a link in the show notes for all of the ones we have. And we're even on TikTok now. For the observant people... i because I know nothing about TikTok. Literally it's, nothing. It's, it's teenagers. <laughs> it is teenagers just doing teenage things. Um, for the observant people out there, you may have heard an extra voice a moment ago. And that voice is Bethan. So before I welcome you, Bethan, and give you a chance to speak, we wanted to invite Bethan due to the nature of the episode today and what we believe is her knowledge on the matter. And we thought she would easily be able to enhance the content for you, our listeners. So welcome, Bethan. And do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. And um, that's an introduction. So that makes me feel both very special, but also a little bit like, oh my God, am I going to live up to these expectations? (laughs) Um, But yeah, my name is Bethan. I'm one half of the podcast Seeing Red. And myself and Mark, my co-host, have been doing our show for about three and a half, nearly four years now. And um, yeah, we just love nattering on about true crime a bit like you guys. So thank you very much for having me come and natter on with you as well. Thank you more than welcome. We both love you, don't we? And Rachel's been, all week she's been super nervous saying, I'm getting really excited. <laughs> oh. Oh. Probably an uh, interesting fact for you, Bethan, but no one else, is that um, Andrew and I were very, um, like, we didn't we didn't really work together for ages. And then just one day, I, doing my usual thing, was just talking at him on a Zoom. And I was like, oh, I'm about to go on a walk. Have you got anything decent I can listen to? And he was like, yes, seeing red. And then from there on in, he couldn't get rid of me. Um, uh, so it was it was your podcast, Seeing Red, with Mark, um, that totally got us talking about our um, crazy obsession with true crime as well. So it brought us together, and I'm sure it's brought countless other people together. And most people in my friendship circle listen to you guys now as well. Oh, big that's fan. amazing. Big fan. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm such a big fan of your show, you guys now. I I know that like you, uh, Andy had said about how you guys have started talking and that sort of thing and decided to do the show and it's just brilliant. I really enjoy it and I've really enjoyed um, now that you're kind of doing some of the episode writing as well. So like both of you kind of sharing it, it's, it's, it's going really, really well and I really enjoy listening. So well done, both of you. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, we can just spend an hour pying each other on the back if you like. Yeah, I this like isn't that. really going to be your show, is it? It's just going to be uh, us saying, oh, I love you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to forget about you, Rachel. So how are you both tonight? Good. Good, thanks. Good. My Good child thing. is fast asleep, so she's not going to disturb us for once. Mine are both asleep, and I'm hoping they won't disturb us, but we can never be 100% sure with the baby, so... Fingers crossed. <laughs> that, that'd be fine. Uh, so, it's time for my favourite bi-weekly question. Are you both ready for some true crime? Absolutely. So, I just need to say, before we start, this this episode is more than a slight deviation from the norm, but it's a topic that I feel really strongly about, and I think it needs to be discussed. And I'll tell you why after I've done the intro. But before I do my usual picture the scene, I want to dedicate this episode to the 1,425 women who were reported victims of femicide in the UK in a 10-year time span between 2009 and 2018, as outlined in a report I'm going to mention and base this episode on. Now, I can't speak about every woman, but I picked out a handful at random, at complete random, to show you that this has to stop, or it isn't, and to hopefully spark some debate so that people listening, you, our listeners, can talk to their loved ones about it. So we can get to that tipping point. And for you, those of you that are not aware about the tipping point, it's a great thing to use in life. I use it every day in my job. And it's when enough small things happen to make big changes occur. So now I've said that, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take you back to today. Right now, wherever and whenever you're listening, 
The temperature is whatever you're feeling right now. Your mood is whatever mood you're in. Maybe you're tired after a long day, excited as you're listening on the way to do something, or you're relaxed as you're nothing but having some as you're doing nothing but having some me time. I want you to think about a person, a woman in your life that you love. It could be your mother, your partner, your sister, or your daughter or granddaughter, or even a friend. It could be someone from the past or someone from the current. Now, how does that make you feel? Are happy memories coming to you? Is a feeling of love coming to you? I want you to keep that person in your head as I speak today. So, Gabby Petito, Sarah Everard, Sabina Nessa, Ashling Murphy, and many more. All of you listening would have heard of one or more of these names. They are recent women who have been killed at the hands of a male aggressively, not always sexually motivated, but certainly always with anger or hate. Now, every time I hear these names, and whatever unfortunate woman may follow that die at the hands of men that the media want to focus on, I do get slightly triggered because when people say to me, isn't it terrible when what happens to women these days? And yes, it is terrible. But I get triggered because they're wrong when they make such statements. And do you both now know why they are wrong? I'm intrigued to see where you're going. They're wrong because it's not a new phenomenon. So it's not what happens yeah. to women these days. Yeah. It, it, it's always happened. Mm-hmm. Now, femicide is defined as a killing of a female, adult or girl, by a man on account of her gender primarily, with a few exceptions. In 2018, a 10-year report was published, the one I referred to earlier, and it was called the Femicide Census. At the start of the report, it states in the UK, a woman was killed by a man every three days on average, and if you only counted deaths by an intimate partner, it went to one every four days on average. Wow. Gosh. Now, when the report was published, this this really hit me hit home. It was the same statistics. Crimes against women are consistent. They don't end, and they haven't ever slowed down. In those 10 years, 1,425 women were officially deemed to be killed by femicide. Now, that's the operative word officially, because most experts believe it'll be much, much more, but misclassification is common and widespread. Now, the first question I want to address is what type of men are committing femicide? Because often in the media, it may portray it to be exclusively as an abusive partner or strangers. Now, the reality is a lot worse than that. It's been shown that the type of men, and by type, I mean the association that they have with the woman who are killed, are as follows. Their husbands, their partners, their ex-partners, their sons, their grandsons, their every type of male relative you can find, their acquaintances, their colleagues, their neighbours, and their strangers. So that hopefully immediately shows us that all types of men commit these crimes. It's not just a current or ex-partner or a stranger. And this shows us the extent of which this is a problem. The danger, the danger that everyone's in at any given point as well. Indeed. So secondly, another myth I want to hopefully destroy straight away, and I want to ask you both of this to start with. How often do we hear in a news report that the death is an isolated incident and that it should be of no concern to the wider public? How often do you read that? Yeah, so frequently, majority of the time. Yeah, Exactly. And most femicides, though, and it's shown in the report, which I will link to in our show notes, are committed in similar settings, with similar weapons, and similar relationships exist between the victims and the perpetrators. If everything is similar, it's not rare, and it's not an isolated incident. It's common and often. But are they talking about the perpetrator? They're talking about the actual crime, that the crime against a woman is oh, so, so they're almost like belittling the crime. By, by saying that, but what they really should be saying is we believe that the suspect is not a danger to other women, he was just a danger to this woman. 
But what they should say is, we believe if you're a woman that you could be at risk. Obviously, they won't say that because they are. It it creates panic. So they they say yeah. it's isolated. It's rare. So women let the guards down, and they don't they don't um, anticipate well, any danger. I, don't, I mean, I don't know um, how quickly we're going to get into a specific case here, but you mentioned Sarah Everard earlier, and I I remember thinking when the reports came out from the police commissioner that you know it's unfortunate she was walking alone on a street in London, you know, home. It was like, no, you're taking away, you're put, you're putting the part of the blame on her for walking home alone on a street in London, when actually it was just the whole blame goes on you know the male because he was sinister and took upon it took it upon himself to kidnap and murder an innocent young woman and and then people um there was a, a murder recently in Dublin and the school teacher was just going for a run in a park no she wasn't just going for a run she was just she was going about her day-to-day business doesn't matter what she was going to do like um, these people take these um, make make these very generic sentences and like oh it could happen to anyone and make it so um, feel like so blasé. I don't know Beth and how you feel, but what, quite often when I read these um, articles or listen to the the announcements in the press, um, I, I I find myself getting really like mad at um, at how they they. Um, represent the, the woman like there was some element of blame like what she was wearing where she was going why she was in a park at four o'clock on a you know quiet afternoon like it's got nothing to do with that though yeah I completely agree I think we are as a society getting better at not victim blaming but we still have those elements of I even saw it with with Sarah Everard and there were people saying well she should have known that he couldn't arrest her on his own. Yeah. How many normal people genuinely, first of all, understood any of the COVID rules and regulations, really? Because yeah. I'm not being funny, they were very mixed messages coming through. Different lockdowns had different rules. Different areas at one point had different rules, like you were in different tiers at some point. The UK was a mess at different times. So first of all, to know specifically were you allowed to be out and about walking around of course she was but you're going to trust authority and then second of all to even mention that you wouldn't you know you're not allowed to be arrested by a solo police like it it's just mind-boggling I I remember talking to Mark about this when we covered her case and I said I personally if I was flashed to pull over at the side of the road I wouldn't pull over but that's only because we covered a case where a fake police officer pulled someone over, kidnapped them. It was horrific. That's only because of my background with true crime. Most normal people would pull over if they're flashed to pull over by the police or what looks like a police car. Or I do, it's it's so frustrating because, yeah, she's just going for a run, or yeah, she's just doing this. But it it almost doesn't need to be mentioned. It can be mentioned as in a here's the scenario, here's what happened at that very moment. She was out for a run, she did this, she did that, and then the person who is the perpetrator did what they did, and that's that's the crime. It's The other stuff is just descriptions mm. of the scenario, and we are doing so much better as a society, but we've still got so much further to go because we still say things like, she was walking alone, mm. shouldn't, shouldn't matter. Absolutely. And I, I, I remember not to dwell too much on that one case, but on the Sarah Everard case, it was like, well, we're going to issue a phone number that all women can call in the event they feel unsafe. And it's like, no, we shouldn't have to call a phone number. Police, men and women should just be legitimate. Yeah, you, good policing. You should control yeah. who you employ and do the appropriate background checks. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to be done for resisting arrest because I have to dial this number and validate your badge, right? Yeah, and whether or exactly. not you're on duty. Um like just remember for a minute what you're expecting like the average person to do in the event that this happens again it's just not uh, appropriate but yeah yeah completely agree with what you're saying and yes there definitely has been movements towards um you know positives um but yeah definitely a lot more work to be done 
I agree completely with you both there. I didn't want to interrupt them, but but what we do need to do, what we're thinking right now, with the rate of death staying constant, and every type of male association committing these crimes, along with what I just mentioned and you two just spoke about, they're not isolated incidents, and they should give us cause for concern. So I just want to give a few facts to back this up. Femicide has been identified globally, not just in the UK or the States, as a leading cause of premature death for women. In 2013, the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution on femicide, urging its members to take action to address this issue and also to properly record and collect data on this, something that is still not happening to this day. Not only is it not acted on or well reported, sometimes the victims are dismissed when reporting, and I just want to give a few examples. In 2009, a Jewish woman, who was a Holocaust survivor, told police, went to the police and told them that two men were living in the basement. She was dismissed as delusional. The reality was two men had broken into her basement. They eventually tied her up, tortured her, leaving her to die of exposure over the Christmas week of that year. Jeez, oh my gosh. Exactly, and another one was a Kurdish woman living in the UK. She went to the police five times seeking help. She was dismissed each time as melodramatic. The police's own words, melodramatic. Two weeks after her last attempt, she was killed by her family. And another one, woman, one woman complained of being stalked. When she went to complain about being stalked, she was actually arrested and charged with wasting police time. After she was released, her stalker killed her. It's just horrific. It is. And I could go on. Uh, the point, I think, but I think the point is made. And the report is 174 pages long, and I won't go into any more stat details. But it concludes by saying that while a large percentage of women are killed by current or ex-partners, that is not the only type of men that commit femicide. It states that the UK is one of the few European countries that have not yet fully ratified the Istanbul Convention, which refers to the elimination of all forms of dis- discrimination against women. In fact, even now, four years later after the report, the UK still hasn't completed that. And that's over 10 years after it first came into existence. So it shows you the priority that the UK government are putting on this. Now, it also showed that significant proportions of women who are killed are older women. Something that is ignored by the media because they don't make a good headline. And, that further, and it shows that further training and awareness of elder abuse is needed. This is a stat which I found fascinating. Only 8% of femicide cases are from strangers. Again, That's so, really low. I know, and it's something... That's what makes the headlines, isn't it? So that's why people think it's all strangers or ex-partners. And it's just because the media know that that's what sells. So, it is interesting as well, because... Um, we were having a conversation on social media. I was talking to somebody and I was saying about how you teach your children like stranger danger. And I had a really horrible moment recently where my kind of true crime side of life kind of came into the fore with my daughter because we were talking and she was a bit scared of monsters. This was her newest thing. And she was saying about monsters and, you know, you sat there and you say, monsters aren't real. They're just off the telly. They're not real, blah, blah, blah. And in the back of my head, I'm there going, nope. Like, actually, monsters are the people that you're going to spend the most of your, you don't know, they're going to be the people who look the most normal, who could be your teacher. It could be people that we introduce into our lives because we think they're a good friend. Like you just don't know. And it was a really horrible moment to kind of be sat there going like, monsters don't exist. When you're a little bit older, I'm going to be teaching you a lot of other things that you need to know about to keep yourself safe. And we shouldn't have to. And I think that's why this episode and, I know you did another episode, didn't you, recently with um, with Bob around the same topic. And I just think, yeah, like this shouldn't even have to be something we have to teach young yeah. girls about. You, um, your recent episode on Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman like mm-hmm. hit home particularly because I was young enough to appreciate what was happening as those mm-hmm. live feeds were coming through when those poor young girls went missing. But I was also innocent enough to believe that, you know, surely there was something 
you know, they'd run away from home maybe and, and it hadn't been at the hands of another mm-hmm. human. But he is the epitome of a monster, right? He's lured them into mm-hmm. their, their house. He worked at their school. He tried to tell them that, you know, one of their favorite assistant teachers was in the property. Like, if only their parents had said to them, do not trust grown men <laughs> or, you know, mm. just because somebody seems nice doesn't mean they are. And, you know, it um, it shouldn't have to happen at, at such a young age, but actually maybe it should. Yeah, it shouldn't have to. It has to, but it shouldn't have to. Yeah. So what I'd like to do now is highlight some of these cases. And the report list, and this is why it hit with me, it actually lists every single woman killed in that period, so 1,425. And not only does it list them, it actually lists them by their preferred names. It's It goes into that effort of finding them, and it apologizes. How, how they would wrong. want to be remembered, or how yes. their family want them to be remembered, and that's so important. Exactly. And so, yeah, so what I did was, I picked some purely at random, I literally just picked names at random, because I want to highlight them. And I didn't want to cherry pick what sounded like the mm-hmm. best ones. And I wanted to show the wide range of types of femicide that exist. Now, because I picked these at random, some don't have a huge amount of detail. But I also think that's a key point that they're forgotten far too easily. If it doesn't make a good headline, sometimes it doesn't even make a single headline. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not going to picture the scene for these cases because what I'd like us all to continue to think of is that woman that you thought about earlier that you in your life that you love and how you'd feel if they became a victim and also think about the people and i'm going to be honest here it's mainly men who dismiss dismiss this type of thing as hysteria and how would you talk to them and how would you make them realize that they need to be part of the change for this to happen so firstly i'd like to introduce you to gwen pool she was 66 years old when she died in March of 2009. She was a mother of two. She was loved by her family and friends. She left her home one evening to play skittles with her friends in a local working man's club. She kissed her husband and said to him, Cheerio, I'll see you later. Her husband replied, Don't be long. They wouldn't speak again. While she was waiting for while she was waiting outside for a lift to go and play skittles, she was attacked by Martin Davis, 23 years old. Four months earlier, he'd been released from a psychiatric hospital. He'd actually been visited the day he'd he killed Gwen by a community care team, and they actually visited him every single day. And they reported him as stable, even though they had witnessed him buying coke, cigarettes, and vodka. And when they told him that he shouldn't drink the vodka, he ignored them, and they had no power to take it off him. So they just left him and finished their shift. And even though they knew what state he was in, after they had left, he concealed a kitchen knife in his trousers and left his home to find someone to kill. He found Gwen and he stabbed her to death. He had repeatedly, over the four months he'd been released, told his carers that he heard voices that were telling him to harm both himself and other people and he repeatedly asked to be readmitted into the facility, and his requests were repeatedly ignored. Gwen's son was reported after, saying, I can't believe she's not coming back. I asked myself, how can one walk down the road to get a lift to play Skittles, and then get attacked in the street, to see my mother on a doorstep holding her side, saying that she had been stabbed, will live with me forever. A son should never have to go through this and see a mother's life ebbing away in front of them. My mum was dying on the floor in front of me. I think that says it all. How often do you hear the reports, you know, come out days later? The police had warning signs. The social services, there were warning signs. The patient was showing signs like... He's it's even so asking often. to be readmitted. Yeah, because and, he'd been... Yeah. Now, the authorities, they said a lot of things about this, and I'm not going to quote them all, but just two snippets of what they said. 
because I'd like to quote them because I want you to think about what we spoke about earlier. Detective Chief Super Adrian Erasmus of Gwent Police said that such incidents were rare and she was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Tony Jewell, the Chief Medical Officer for Wales, was quoted as saying, Incidents such as this were isolated and not common. I hate that phrase, the wrong place at the wrong time, because I get what people are trying to highlight. You know, if she had have just walked out of her door 10 minutes earlier or 10 minutes later, she wouldn't have been there at that moment. And I get that they don't mean it in such a victim-blaming, blasé way, but the wrong place at the wrong time. It's just, it frustrates me so much. It's just adding insult to injury. Yeah. It's already bad enough that she was killed but don't tell me that had she have missed it like that deadline by 10 minutes she'd still be here because that's just going to make everyone feel mm-hmm. even it worse have, it would have been someone else and mm-hmm. you, you also have to think this the quarter saying it's rare mm-hmm. it was isolated and not common and that was literally the first one i picked at random now i just want to remind us though that there was 1425 report femicide deaths in 10 years so I'd now like to introduce you to Jennifer Dornan. She was mother to three children, Martin, 15, Jaden, 13, and 10-year-old Abby. Described by her mother as wonderful, beautiful, and so caring, the best daughter she could have and the best mommy to her three kids. She was bubbly and friendly, and the sort of person to bright, brighten up the most dullest day. Now, Jennifer had been enjoying a night out with her friends on Saturday, the 1st of August, 2015. In the early hours of the Sunday morning, she was walking home from a friend's house, slightly tipsy with her shoes in her hand. Raymond O'Neill, 47, had also been at her friend's house. She didn't know him before that night. We don't know what type of interaction they had that evening, what type of conversation, but he followed her home and he stabbed her three times before setting fire to her home. He, He... he claimed he didn't do it, and he couldn't remember anything. However, CCTV, CCTV footage showed him following her. Witnesses saw him with blood on his hands. Cameras caught him disposing of the knife. He was jailed for life. And even though he was arrested not long afterwards, and we're talking days, it took seven years to convict him. And he was actually only convicted a few weeks ago. Seven years, that's madness. And he's just, he actually, after he did it, he turned up at his nephew's house and said, along with paraphrasing, but I've just killed a woman. And, and so it, it's not like it was ever in doubt. The authorities this time declined to comment. Now, I just want you all to think about the laughter of the women in your life that you love. And then I want you to think about not being able to hear it again. Now, with that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to Susan Westwood. Susan lived in Coventry. She was 68 years old at the time of her death, and she was a mother. She lived with her son, Thomas Westwood, who was 46 at the time of her death. On Friday the 1st of December 2018, Thomas, who was unemployed at the time, made his mum, Susan, a cup of tea. She commented that it was still milky for her, so he stabbed her 17 times, killing her. Thomas had mental health issues spanning 20 years, with what was stated in the trial as thousands of pages of documents over that time frame detailing his issues. He was jailed for manslaughter on the basis of diminished responsibility for 17 years. He claimed she bullied him every day, which forced him to kill her. The recorder of Coventry, George Andrew Lockhart QC, called the case exceptional. He said it was rare, and he said it was also isolated when he was sent- sentencing Thomas. And he also claimed that Thomas may have been provoked. So I want you to think about what Thomas claimed his mother did that she moaned his cup of tea was too milky that he made for her. And now I want you to listen to a quote from a family member of Susan's. She was a loving mum, nan, 
sister and auntie. She was a friend who would miss so much. She was kind, funny, generous, warm, and a loving person. She did not deserve to lose her life in the most cruelest of ways. To lose someone in your life is bad enough. But for Susan to be killed by someone she loved and supported endlessly is the cruelest blow. Someone she trusted and loved. This is beyond our comprehension. So, I ask you both, what's your opinion? Was she to blame? Did it sound like she bullied him? Was she to blame because she criticised the way he made her a cup of tea? Or did she love him, along with her children, along with her grandkids and her family? I mean, the thing is, is if, if we are believing him that she was abusive the whole time and this was that one thing that pushed him over the edge, I would want to know more. I'd want to see some reports, some other police reports, some other things that potentially had happened between, you know, you'd, we don't always, we never know what's going on behind closed doors. And absolutely, she may well have been abusing him this whole time. But it does seem mad that that's then not been discussed. And it, it surely would have been brought up in court if it was the case that there was any semblance of evidence that that there, there was anything more to this. And yes, he suffered with mental health issues for 20 years. But so do a lot of people who then don't go and murder their their loved ones. So it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because you just don't, you don't know what's led to that point. You don't. But no matter what, she doesn't deserve to be stabbed, <laughs> whether whether that's the case or not. It's, it's really interesting. What you yeah. do know, though, is that she supported him and let him live with her for the last 20 years while he had those issues. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah. Sorry, Rachel, you're about it. No, I was just going to say, I think that <clears throat> having lived with her son, who she knew had mental health um, issues, complications, um, there was probably an element in the back of her mind of treading carefully with things um, so as not to tip him over the edge. So you, you could argue as well that for her, that, it was probably even more of a, a harmless comment potentially because she desperately didn't think that 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 would have you know led to him having like unleashing a frenzied attack on her because I think sometimes like when you look at these situations where the person being cared for feels like smothered and um just it's quite an intense relationship um actually the person caring is also um you know, not not looking after themselves, putting too much effort into looking after the person being cared for, and um, and therefore, like you know, spending you know a good period of their own lives uh, worrying and um, you know not wanting to upset or cause any any issues with with that person. So, um, unfortunately, she she wouldn't be here to kind of defend her corner on that. But how awful that he like threw her under a bus, you know, instead of you know probably even being able to lean on the fact that yeah he was mentally unwell he went oh yeah but she's bullied me my whole life it just does not leave um a nice legacy on her part mm-hmm. for her or the children and grandchildren yeah exactly now I've, I've got two more i know it's a slightly longer than normal but just two more short ones um so now i'd like to introduce, introduce you to yvonne davis she was 46 years old from chidu hume i can't say that sorry if i pronounced that wrong Yvonne died on January the 16th, 2015. Before 9am, her husband took her, their eight-year-old daughter to school, dropping her off. He then returned home. Around 9.10am, he attacked his wife with a knife, stabbing her multiple times. Injuries to both her arms and legs showed that she had struggled. She eventually was hit eight times with a hammer, fracturing her skull. She died from the stab wounds to her neck. He then slashed his wrist and hanged himself successfully. The post-mortem, the post-mortem verdict was murder-suicide. Andrew, her husband, was a postman. He'd found emails she had with an old friend which suggested she was having an affair. He then compiled a dossier 
on her all her alleged affairs before killing her. One of the people he listed was a PC Mark Clifton, who had known Yvonne for 23 years. He was to say this, Mark Clifton that is, that one time Andrew indicated to Yvonne that he believed we were having an affair. At that time, that was not true. We had not been together for many years. I had never described a relationship as an affair. We were very close friends. On occasion, that friendship went too far. When he said this, in the inquest, the coroner, John Pollard of Stockport, actually told him that he was using weasel words. And by saying it was a friendship that had gone too far, he should have said it was just an affair. And to show how these things are approached, the media then went on to describe the husband as cuckold, implying he was driven to this. And even the coroner said this. He suspected his wife had been unfaithful with someone else. His suspicions were justified, and they clearly had an effect upon him. So let me ask you both. Even if your partner is cheating on you with dozens of people, and she wasn't cheating on him with dozens of people, but even if your partner was, does it give you just cause to go and kill them? No. Yeah, it's it's just madness. It's like, if that's happening, you've got perfect grounds for divorce and take her for everything. You know, if that's the, if that's the case, you've got so many other options. Not not to then behave like that that's and I mean dropping off the kid at school you've just orphaned yeah he after I did put this in the script but after he killed his wife and before he killed himself he just sent a text message to his sister saying sorry now I I don't believe that if you saw you wouldn't do it in the first place um so there are 1425 names in that report and I did pick them from random, and I can't go for everyone, even though as much as I'd like to. But I want to talk about one last one that I selected at random. So finally, I'd like to introduce you to Catalina Chiwiluk. She was 20 years old, and she was killed on the 4th of May 2017. She was a Polish national who lived in Mile End, East London. She worked part-time as a waiter at a Polish embassy, while also studying interior architecture at the University of Westminster. Three weeks prior to her death, she had split up with her boyfriend, who she had been with for three years, citing his inability to control his aggressive behaviour when he had been drinking alcohol. One week prior to her death, she had begun seeing a mutual friend of the pair. The apparent reason her ex-boyfriend, Gregor Koziek, not only killed her, stabbing her repeatedly, causing 26 wounds, meaning to her face and neck. He also wounded their friends, David and Monica, when they tried to stop him. And the main reason he he stabbed her, because after he had gone to see her at their friends, when she tried to leave, he offered her a walk to the bus stop. She said no, so he attacked her. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, with a minimum of 20 years. The prosecutor, so the person prosecuting, not his defence, at his trial, said it was unfortunate what happened to her. The defence blamed it on being his first experience of love and affection. And because he was drunk, he couldn't understand what he had done to lose her, and he didn't know how to get her back. So... Like she's a possession. Yes. And, like, this is one of the things why I think it's, great that we are as a society moving strides and strides ahead because I I don't know about you Rachel but even when I was at school it was very still very much of like he's being mean to you because he fancies you mm. he's teasing you because he fancies you like put up with the teasing put up with that and then for like boys I don't know how you feel about this kind of generalization Andy but this whole thing of don't give up she's playing hard to get like how does any like how do people know when they're being brought up with such twisted ideas of what is love mm. yeah. and then when it does go wrong and you lose that person that you genuinely feel like is your your one love your first love it's I mean 
Christ, like everybody's first love, it, it does get to you and it bothers you and you, you behave in a mad way. But I'm, I'm not excusing his behavior whatsoever, but I do understand how some somehow like society needs to really change the way that we bring up young children with what their ideas of romance and love are, because then they, you know, what if you just can't get that grasp on reality to realize, move on, <laughs> find someone else. Exactly. And I was having such a discussion. I don't know if it's in your Facebook group or Adam's, but um, someone posted something similar uh, death to any one of these that I've just mentioned. And I said, like, is it, it came to me, is this something where do you think that possibly this is just built in to men because of both nature and nature, where it's, it's almost subconscious that they feel they can, I know I'm a man saying this, but you feel that you can react with anger to having an emotional hurt, such as either your pride being hurt or you any type of emotional pain. It's almost like it's accepted because that's how men express their their emotions with anger yeah. and it's just and men shouldn't cry men should be strong yeah. and stiff up a lip and like be british and all of that yeah if a woman yeah. was yeah. to get angry um they're seen as shrill and uh you know all these like negative um words are associated with a woman that kind of um you know is upset with how she's being treated Whereas for the man, if he's upset, he's setting his ground and he's establishing boundaries. And, you know, that the language, you know, really does infuriate me. And it's funny you mention that, Bethan, because my daughter is five, just started school or, you know, in September last year. And, um, you know, for the first time, boys are on the scene and luckily not romantically, gosh, no. But, you know, um, boys are part, a bigger part of her life and her classroom and, you know, getting paired with a boy, ooh, no, thank you. And, mm. and that's the zone, that's the part of life that she's involved in at the minute. But um, there will come a time when um, I'm to tell her and explain to her, like, you know, um, th this is what, you know, this interaction means or don't get upset if such and such doesn't want to play with you. And I have to tread carefully because I don't want her having those um, typical, oh, he's he's teasing you because he likes you and, uh, and, and all of that stuff. Like, I feel we have come far too far to, um, to just carry on with those kind of behaviors, um, the way that you know, we were taught when we were younger and, um, you know, she, she, we have like the ability to kind of shape their little lives and their little futures, don't we, with, um, you know, telling them that it's okay not to, um, not to be liked and not to like other people, that's fine, boy or girl, but, um, but yeah, just to be really mindful, not to slip into that. I was taught this and it never did me any harm. So I'm just going to tell her the mm -hmm. same, the same old stories. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's important when you say how many times I think I probably said it myself. It did me no harm when I was a kid. Um, so why they being so either precious or sensitive and yeah, I try not to obviously. Uh, not perfect but yeah it, it's I think you're right it has to start from a young age and this is why I believe like you people listen out there I know I've obviously if you've not noticed I'm a man and um, so many discussions over the years and it's almost like it's oh have you seen like this nonsense that they're talking about or this happened and like oh it's just like they shouldn't get so wound up about it or they shouldn't get be so sensitive and this is why you need to talk to the people in your life and especially those people because even if they don't listen to you, even if they dismiss you, it's like repeated conversations and eventually the tipping point will come and then big change can happen. But if you are too afraid or you don't talk to someone about something because you think, I know how they're going to react, then nothing can ever change because they never get confronted about their opinions and, and what they feel. And then it would just carry on. There's mm -hmm. actually a, a really interesting Netflix um, drama on at the minute called Anatomy of a Scandal. Um, and I'm not sure whether um, you guys have, have heard of or seen it yet. 
but um, I, I won't spoil anything um, for you, but it just unpicks the way that men and women are brought up in society to think and feel differently about interactions. And um, in in modern day, have either of you seen it, by the way? No. No, I haven't. No, it's, it is brilliant. And Sienna Miller, like, absolutely nails it, just a six-episode one. Um, but she basically um, wants to change the behaviour of her young boy so that he doesn't grow up. Um, in the um, same way that his father has um, and his father hasn't necessarily done anything catastrophically wrong but he has disrupted other people's lives and um, for years like she's just been brushing it under the carpet oh it's fine he doesn't mean any harm but it's like but he has caused harm whether or not he intentionally meant it it doesn't matter he has caused it so um, you know towards the end she takes a bit of a stand to make sure that future generations don't suffer the you know the same like faults and it's quite powerful because you yourself think back yeah gosh I've probably been you know in a situation myself where um you know consent is a topic um of 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 the drama where you you think um you know once upon a time people and I know I've veered off slight, slightly off course here sorry Andrew I always do this but you know people wouldn't have thought twice about smacking you on the ass in the office if uh you know maybe 15 20 years ago when I first started work um but now god that would be like that'd be the worst wouldn't it if anybody if a man smacked a woman on the ass at the photocopy machine in the office god he'd he'd go to court wouldn't he yeah that that'd be seen pretty seriously but um you know once upon a time that was acceptable but it doesn't mean it should be acceptable now um so so yeah firstly i great i don't need to watch that now thanks rachel but um (laughs) but but no you're definitely not spoiled it the problem we're trying to make the point you're trying to make though is that what happens now is that man will think, okay, I can't do this in the workplace. So then he'll go to the pub or the bar and he'll do it because he's not in a workplace, so he's fine. And that's that's what you need to, that's what we need to try and change, that it's not just, okay, it's unacceptable in this situation. Mm. It's, just, it's just unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, it's... Um... I'm sorry to kind of kind of focus only on Sarah Everard's case because it's not what I meant to do at all. But um, when I kind of knew the the outline of the the basic topic of this episode, it really reminded me. And I've got the the facts here of the government then published the national strategy to tackle violence against women after this had happened and after all of the investigation into what happened the actual strategy doesn't name men as perpetrators so it names the high profile victims it names that they're women and it doesn't name femicide at all and this is the thing that i find so frustrating is this whole well it's not all men if of course it's not all men my dad my husband i could say to you hand on heart 100% they would not murder a woman i could guarantee it to you but I'm not going to sit here and say that actually the majority of perpetrators are men. Like that is a fact. And that is, that is just a fact. It doesn't mean that I'm slating all men, anything like that. But like you said, Andy, all you're going to do is you're going to have this shift from, well, I can't do X, Y, Z in this scenario because that's specific. But what about in the rest of my life? It should just be, don't slap a woman's ass end of so like end of sentence (laughs) like it's so frustrating because you don't you don't want to offend people and you don't want to upset people and you don't want to you know you don't want to make every man feel like he shouldn't walk along the streets feeling safe to walk near a woman without being accused of anything but equally if you're walking down the streets as a woman and you are on your own you're going to be more nervous of a man because that's statistically what what could be the danger for you? Just on that point, Bethan, something I found really interesting amongst my own group of friends, certainly in my own circles, at the time of Sarah Everard was that it was very clearly separated between men that were like, it's not all men, and the men that were like, wow, you feel threatened by the generic man. How can I help you mm-hmm. not feel threatened? And 
that really did separate you know the acquaintances from the friends because the people that were like oh it's not all men you're you're defending the problem yeah and the people mm-hmm. that are like wow what can I do to help well you're addressing it I'll work with you I can talk yeah. to you I feel safe with you to have a debate even you know and you're absolutely right it's not all men the, the men that I live with and the men in in my close proximity of family like I would be exactly the same as you never in my mm-hmm. wildest dreams would they even raise a hand to a woman let alone kill them but they also need to address that we're not just generically tiring all men with a brush, but we are saying there are things that all men should do to make women feel safe. Exactly. And, you know, if you are not inclined to do that, you're not going to be offended with having to participate in that, if that makes sense, and not um, and having to show that you are not a danger. It's only the people that mm-hmm. maybe that they might will be offended by it. Yeah, threatened, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, for one last time, if it's safe to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. The time is now. You either have a loved one close by, right now, or you know where they are and how much they mean to you. Should it be a fact, and it is a fact, one of the main reasons for their potential early death is femicide. So thank you for listening to us. Please do reach out either to a local support group if this has affected you or to us if you want to discuss this further. And please do tell your friends about us and have those difficult conversations. Uh, Bethan, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for bringing this topic to the fore. It's very, very important. So I appreciate the opportunity to come and join you guys and to have a chat. I mean, a little bit, not as lighthearted as I was expecting. I thought I was going to be talking about my favourite sandwich or something like that, but, you know, but um, yes. no, you've really, really painted that picture and definitely off to go and just have a little look at my girls and try and not be as upset by this whole episode as you've probably made most of your listeners. So well done. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah apologies for that, but some things have to be said. So thank you everyone. Um and you hear from us soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.